We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for February 21st, 2010. And today we're actually going to be doing a uh, one of our current event end time uh, studies. Uh, we haven't done one in quite a while. And um, this will probably be the first study that I will put up, but we actually have been doing teachings for the last two weeks. I'm just trying, I've been trying to figure out how to get them up on the internet and... Um, with the situation with my mom and all the other things that I've been dealing with, it's just been, my time's been very um, hindered. My computer was down for a good two weeks as well during the same time period. I ended up uh, putting quite a bit of money into it to get it up and running again. And I just think it was more, um, you know, attacks of the, the devil on this ministry. And I've had about everything that could go wrong has went wrong, <laughs> starting with what happened with my mom. But... You know, the ultimate uh, thing with my mom is we were able to lead her to the Lord, and I've got assurance of that. And a lot of people have been emailing me, asking me about how she's doing, and this and that. And she's in she's in Hope Hospice, as she's been in. Um, there was a time where they were trying to even kick her out. Um, and um, I really believe the Lord intervened in that, and we, we were able to, to keep her in there. Uh, I would say overall she's in a declining mode. She has some good days, but more and more bad. Um, but she doesn't really seem to be suffering. Um, and other than, you know, just some bowel issues she's been facing, that that's the main thing that's been causing her probably grief. But uh, with her prognosis, and I told her this, you know, unless God does a, a miracle, which he's perfectly capable of doing, you know, it doesn't look real good because of the, the cancer had spread to the liver, the lungs, and started in the uterus. So, um, and then the stroke that she had, which complicated everything. Um, you know, so she's she's aware of her of her condition at this point, and uh, um, I told her yesterday. You know, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and. Um, she was real interested in that Bible verse, and uh, she's shown, um, you know, a lot of uh, interest in spiritual things and prayer and things like that since this all happened where she got saved, which she never had before. And um, the day that she had the stroke, she didn't remember anything, and that was the day I led her to the Lord. But when I questioned her further about that, I said, um, do you remember me praying with you that day? And she's like, oh, I remember that. I said, well, do you remember... You know, nine one one, the ambulance coming, you having the stroke, all everything in between. She's like, I don't remember any of that. And I said, but you do remember me praying with you, and and how you know you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, and the whole nine yards there. And and she's like, oh yeah, I remember that. And so she was, she was very aware of of that. And uh, again, I think that was just further confirmation from the Lord that. Um, you know, she got saved. So it's it's hard for me to email everybody back that's inquiring about the situation. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna try to put this teaching up, and um, uh, we're gonna get into some current events today here. And uh, I thank you for all the people that have emailed me and um, are praying for uh, my mom and the situation, and um, the people that have. Um, you know, donated money and, and this type of thing to this ministry, and um, I, I just praise the Lord Jesus Christ for you, and um, really, really thank you for that. Uh, you know, I think a lot of times we'll go through stuff like this just to see, it's just a testing, and, and 
again, the, the teaching that I did, which will actually go up after this, which I've done the last two weeks, was on the uh, cross of Christ and, and how many times we're tested and we talked about Job and, and things like this. And it's part of the trial of our faith that the Bible um, talks about. And ultimately, tribulation worketh patience. And that's something I've, I've um, needed. And um, in some ways, this, this whole tribulation that I've been through has made me, in some ways, a lot more patient. And, uh, you know, that's just a byproduct of things. So, you know, I just praise the Lord for, for that and, and for His intervention. And I want to give Him the, the glory for everything. And um, I'll just try to kind of update you as, as we go. Sometimes it'll be by email. Sometimes it'll be by little audio clip like this that we're doing. Anyway, the first article that we're going to be talking today about is, um, this is a brief YouTube video. It's entitled, Human Cattle Microchipped on Live TV. So this is a mainstream, looks like, I don't know, maybe the Today Show, uh, one of those morning shows, and we're going to be hearing about these people that actually got chipped on live TV with the Verichip Microchip. Digital Angel, I believe, and uh, I'll go ahead and roll that right now. You may remember when we had the Jacobs family here on today last month, they announced they'd be the first family to be fitted with the VeraChip. It's a tiny computer chip that can be implanted in the body and then scanned for personal and medical information in emergency situations. Well, they're back this morning to have the procedure done. Jeff, Leslie, and Derek Jacobs are joined by Dr. David Wilkin. Good morning to all of you. Nice to now, just so you can have an idea, now the the link to this will be in PDF format. I'm hoping to get this teaching up on the internet. Um, hopefully, I, I believe the PDF will be with it. Yes, it will. And um, I'm hoping to get this up today. Um, we've just, I'm just trying to to uh, get acquainted and affiliated with this new system. I was very acquainted and affiliated with Sermon Audio, but this new system's thrown me some curveballs, and I'm trying to get up to speed. But uh, you'll be able to watch this video. Uh, the PDF will be provided and all the links to it, because uh, I always want to try to document everything that we're doing. But what we're seeing here is this family and a lady. It looks like they're in a doctor's office. She's on a doctor's table laying there, and she's got these doctors around her and getting ready to uh, get this microchip inserted into them. And really what this is considered is anytime you puncture the skin from a technical standpoint, that is considered surgery. And this is why vaccinations, one of the ways that you can protest vaccinations as well, because it's really surgery that you're not authorizing them to do. They're penetrating your skin, and um, in this case they're putting a microchip in, or, the, or they could be putting uh, uh, controlled poisons in, like in the form of a vaccine. And I've done several teachings on that. Now, one of the easiest ways right now that you could find any of my previous teachings is just to go up to YouTube, enter my name in, Scott Johnson, and then whatever subject you're searching for, whether it's um, Mark of the Beast, Salvation, uh, Prayer, you just enter in one word, and, and generally there's been several people, I, I put up one last night, or I, I uh, sent out one regarding... Um, Salvation, and I looked at, there was I think six different people just on the first page that had put that teaching up, up on YouTube. So, it's kind of covered from several different angles up on YouTube. With ContendingForTruth.com, 
eventually we will have all the previous teachings um, up there in, I believe, a searchable format. But for right now, we just don't have that. We do have all the teachings up on ContendingForTruth.com in the archive. If you go up to the website and you go to the left-hand corner, you'll see audio. Um, and you click on that, and you come down, there's a little link that talks about the archives. You click on that, and every single one of my teachings are in there. But it's not in a real searchable format, and it's not in any particular order. So it's a little bit tough to find. Um, but on YouTube, you can search them that way. Anyway, let's go further. Good morning. Good morning. And, and, and Keith Bolton of Applied Digital Solutions joins us as well, right, Keith? Good morning, Katie. Hi. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you, too. Qu briefly, for people who might not be familiar with this technology, can you just describe what the VeriChip is and how it works? Yes, VeriChip is an advanced uh, verification system. Uh, it's designed to have a small little uh, needle in, uh, injected inside of the body, and there's a small little chip that can provide information in the event that you cannot speak. Where is it implanted generally, Keith? Uh, generally, it's uh, implanted in the upper right area to the shoulder, and Jeff Jacobs is actually having his in the uh, uh, shoulder-type area. Okay, we'll get to Jeff in a moment, but Leslie and Derek, I know that you had your chips implanted earlier this morning. How did the procedure go, Derek? It went very well. I was actually amazed on how simple and easy it was. Yeah, and Leslie, how about you? Are you feeling any after effects? Was it painful in any way? Oh, no, it was incredibly simple. I felt absolutely nothing, and I feel great. In fact, I know, Leslie, that, well, Derek, first of all, is sort of the catalyst behind this. He saw the Veritchip on the Today Show, and I understand he started pestering you right away, but it really will serve a, a very useful purpose for your family, Leslie, because I know that your husband, Jeff, was taken to the emergency room in 1995, and doctors asked what medications he was on, and you had a, d a difficult time re uh, remembering, right? Oh, yes, he's been rushed many a times, and he's on over 10 medications, had cancer, numerous complications. It's just too much to remember, and with the VeriChip and the scanner, instantaneously they will be, ac uh, be able to access all this information. Derek, tell So, again, just pure propaganda. This is what this is. It's a pure propaganda clip on the benefits and the merits of this demonic um, microchip which is really the forerunner to the mark of the beast, is essentially what we're talking about here. Uh, so, and again, I've done at least two different studies on the mark of the beast, and if you if you want to search that out, for, for now, um, like I said, the YouTube option is probably the easiest way to find it that I mentioned before. Tell me why, when you saw this, you thought, you know, I have to have my family get this ASAP. What was it about it? Well, technology is my life, and this is a great techno technological advancement. And also, I thought that it could help my dad, because as my mom said, we have gone to the emergency room many times with him, and a lot of times he's in too much pain to answer any of the questions that he had. And since his medications change often and his medical history is so long, me and my mom can't remember it, so the Veritrip will be able to tell them concise information about his history in only milliseconds. All right. Well, I know that Jeff is about to have the procedure done, and Dr. Wilkin is here, Dr. David Wilkin, a surgeon who uh, your family knows. Dr. Wilkin, why don't you go ahead and implant the chip and just show us how this works? Okay. Well, uh, Jeff's already been prepped with uh, Mysterial Field, and he's been infiltrated with a uh, xylocaine to numb the area up. Can I have the uh, chip, please? <clears throat> This is the insertion uh, cannula, and we have to take the uh, piece of tape off. 
I mean, they're doing this all the way. They got the the doctor in the white jacket. They've got nurses standing in the background, and you know, he's prepped. Really, it looks like he is prepped for surgery. Is what we've got um, in this whole procedure. They want to make it look real official, which is an actual fact. The hardest part of the procedure. <laughs> Don't worry, you're just on national television. Well, thank you. <laughs> Katie, no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> you know, while you're doing that, I just wanted to ask Keith, Keith, you know, this will be scanned yeah. for information, but how many emergency rooms in this country actually have scanners, and how will they know that they have to scan the patient in the first place? It's not like somebody can say, hey, by the way, I've got a Verichip in my shoulder, check it out. A lot of times people won't be in a condition to say that, right? Uh, that, well, that is probably correct. However, uh, we have uh, spoke with many hospitals, and certain, quite a few hospitals in Florida will have already agreed to take the scanner. Uh, and uh, as far as the procedure, um, we will give a particular card that would be in a wallet. In the event that uh, they do not see the card, uh, then the uh, attendant, the medical attendant, will either ask you to have a chip, well, we hope that the natural procedure would be to just scan over the uh, particular area of the body so they can have that valuable information quickly. I understand this costs $200 for the uh, implantation and then $40 for an annual fee to update information? Well, it's $200 uh, for the chip itself, and then it's $9.95 to have your information uh, stored in the FDA-compliant uh, database that we have. Jeff, uh, well, well, first of all, Dr. Wilkin, are you Now, with that, you also get your Ovaltine secret decoder ring and, the, as the aforementioned Hulk Hogan commemorative beer koozie. Uh, annually, it's kind of an annual thing they ship to you, you know. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. Finished? Yeah, we're ready. We've uh, I've made a little incision in the skin, and I'm getting ready to insert the cannula. Uh huh. And the cannula is in, and the chip is now extruded, and we're finished. Okay, well that was and quick, Jeff. I don't mean to ignore you. How how are you doing down there? Well, you know, I I have a doctor who's got the best hands that I know, so of course that's good, and my wonderful family and everyone around, and I thank God so much that I've been given the gift to have something special like this to save my life in case of an emergency. Interesting. He's thanking God for this gift, and it's nothing more than an absolute curse. Uh, these people have no fear of God. They, they have none. And I think that's what's evidenced by this. Th that was the thing that kept going through my mind as I witnessed this. I kept thinking, these people have no fear of God whatsoever. Uh, that's the overriding thing that that, um, that I picked up on. Same technology. Derek, real quickly, are you worried about the whole Big Brother thing, invasion of privacy? Well, the chip is a freedom of choice thing, and if you want to have it, it's up to you. If you feel that you have a need for it, that's great, and you should get the chip in if you want. And also, you get to choose the information that's on it. So, in our case, we want this information known to the people that need to know it in case of an emergency. So, no, I'm not worried. All right. Well, Derek Leslie and Jeff Jacobs, Dr. David Wilkin and Keith Bolton, thank you all so much for joining us this morning. And, and good luck with your new chips. Thank you. So, one big happy family. Um, he's saying that, that these people have that choice at this point, and, and let's just say that that's true, that they have the choice of even what's on it, which I really don't believe that, but there's going to come a day, obviously, from a biblical perspective, where, you know, it's going to be either, you know, take the mark, 
or be beheaded, essentially, from a biblical standpoint we're looking at this. So, But it has to start somewhere. And this is where it's starting. It's starting um, with voluntary. Um, oh, it's a wonderful thing. Oh, it's just for, you know, let's use it on people that are... Uh, you know, have all these health histories or possibly people, the elderly with Alzheimer's or dementia, so that we can keep track of them. And if they wander off and they're found, then we have all their medical history. Uh, or implant your kids because then if they get abducted or something, then, you know, they'll be able to be tracked. Now, I, um, it's just they're, they're going to have always have an excuse and they're going to make it look sound like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but... Um, this is where we're starting from, but it's going to become more and more draconian as this technology is implemented further and further into society. So that's the first article that we wanted to go over. The second article, just a real brief one, it's entitled, Greece Bans Cash Transactions Over 1,500 Euros. This was from Reuters, and it said the international, um, well this is actually a commentary um from the Reuters article, the international meddlers are going after the Greek underground economy aggressively. They are using the current government debt crisis to gain as much control over the Greek economy as they can. Effective January 1st, 2011, every transaction above 1,500 euros, which would be probably about 3,500 American right now, uh, every transaction above 1,500 euros will be considered illegal if it is done in cash. Transactions will have to be done through debit or credit cards. Who in the world is any government to tell any society what transactions would be considered illegal or non-illegal, particularly when you're using cash? What right would they, but again, it's because of their current thing, they've implemented evidently legislation now and buried this within the legislation. And again, we're talking about where do things start? Well, this is another great example of one country where obviously this hasn't been implemented in America yet or, or even other parts of the world, but it has to start somewhere. Just like the Verichip, it's very, very similar, but this is the actual... Um, and, and in a way, it relates to the very chip, because if you think about it, transactions, it says, will have to be done through debit or credit cards if they're above 1,500 euros. Again, it's a way that they can keep uh, control of things. Uh, another, there were a lot of comments made about this, and the, the one person commented and said that they start out at 1,500, and then it goes to 1,000, then it goes to 500, and then it goes to 250. In other words, they'll get it down to where all transactions will have to be done through debit or credit cards. And again, I think a lot of the times with things like this, it's how much resistance they're going to get when it comes to things like this. And if you resist this, you're resisting tyranny. And I don't mean going around and, and, and you know getting your guns out and, and doing that or anything like that. I'm just saying you can resist it in prayer. You can resist it through you know telling people. I mean, this is re literally resisting the system of the mark of the beast that will eventually be implemented. And I understand it will eventually be implemented, but uh, we are supposed to resist evil. And this is pure evil. So, anyway, I wanted to kind of go over that. And, and how, I guess I didn't really cover how would this relate to the mark of the beast. Well, 
they start you out with debit and credit cards, and then we we progress to a national ID, which then progresses to, which is essentially kind of like the concept of the mark of the beast. And then if they incorporate your debit, credit, financial things into the national ID card, and then what they can do is say, well, you can lose that card. So now we're going to have to implant you with a microchip that you won't be able to lose, okay, in your right hand or your um, forehead, like the Bible talks about. Well, then now you've got all your all your transactions and all your personal information in the mar- in the chip. So this does relate to the mark of the beast in that way. They, they've got to start out with baby steps, essentially. Next article is entitled "Internet Censorship Alert: Agenda to Blacklist Dissenting Sites and Licensed Users." from February 9, 2010. The Western world from Australia to the United States, UK, and parts of Europe are moving in a unified front toward dictatorial internet censorship. Australia has led the way despite outcry from its populace by filtering out certain banned content. Hey, I'm seeing this already. I just got kicked off Sermon Audio and they never even told me why. (laughs) The only thing that I had heard was that I had gotten too big. That was it. That was the only thing I heard, and that was through another another person. So uh, I got had 10 days notice, and I've never even had a warning from Sermon Audio. And, you know, that was it, 10 days, and I was off. And, I mean, they didn't... They accommodated me very, very little with any request that I made to them. About the only thing they really accommodated with me was, the, was, um, was uh, sending me a DVD of the actual... Uh, of my teachings and all of the particulars that went along with them. They did do that. But everything else that I requested from a Christian decency standpoint, they denied me. You know? So, (laughs) you know, the Lord judge. You know, the Lord judge between, in that situation. And uh, that's all I'll say about it. Anyway, let's go further. Um... Australia has led the way, despite outcry from its populace, by filtering out certain banned content. In the United States, Senator Jay Rockefeller of the Rockefeller fame, Illuminati fame, in continuing with his family's tradition of oppressing free humanity, has pushed toward cybersecurity legislation that has already passed the House. He has done so in the name of warding off ghastly cyber attackers, conceivably fronting for Al-Qaeda, while ushering in a means to restrict free speech and the expression online for general population. With Obama's support, most of the developed world has accepted plans for the government-approved online activity and Pentagon-monitored internet traffic. The U.S. and the U.K. are facilitating the hijacking of what has until now been a highly democratic uh, internet. Overall, I don't know if democratic's the word, but right word, but anyway, overall it has been a technological godsend for bringing together communication and strongly expressing thought outside of the mainstream information available on television and in print. Now people are being forced onto the corporate-dominated Internet 2 once again in the name of, quote, security. Internet freedom sacrificed at some false altar of Internet security. Independent blogs, new sites, and online businesses will all be financially disadvantaged by access fees not demanded of dominant entities. What is today outside the norm but well within free speech will tomorrow be evaluated by politically correct criteria that will be used to identify sites to block and block in 
users to deny access. Now, again, we're trying to get the site up to speed here, but who knows how long we actually have on the Internet, me or anyone else, um, that gets into these types of issues. And again, these are things to pray about, because God can extend the time that, that we're up there. But if nobody's praying about certain issues and they just throw up their hands in defeat, well, that's not faith. So I'm not bringing you all these things to try to destroy your faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we don't want to get down in the dumps. These are things that we should be praying about. And ultimately, we know that these, you know, ultimately, um, for a time, Satan's going to have his way. Um, particularly during the tribulation. But uh, we're supposed to occupy till Jesus comes. We're supposed to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them to reprove. And we're also supposed to manifest these things. And to manifest means to make shed light on them. And this is what we're doing. We're not supposed to be ignorant of Satan's devices lest he get an advantage of us. Uh, and this is why we're, we're doing what we do. So going further... Currently, a campaign is underway to convince the public to accept driver's licenses for a once-free Internet. Now, I'm not 100% sure exactly what that means, but, um, it, it, but what it boils down to is control. This is what it boils down to. Control. Already, government blacklists have been exposed. On the list, the usual suspects, Infowars, PrisonPlant.com, WikiLeaks.org, and the like. Referrals to sites like Infowars and PrisonPlanet.com are being denied not only in Australia, but in places like New Zealand, who have not adopted the same policies, but do share ISPs. These are internet service providers who have ordered a block. Now, I understand there's a lot of people that have emailed me about Alex Jones regarding you know, his, him being a Jesuit coadjutor. That all may be true. Okay, What I'm really wanting to put out here is the information. Okay? Uh, despite it being Alex Jones or whatever, there's a lot of good information you can glean up on his website. Okay, So this is more my goal, not to so much promote a person as it is to get out truth. And this is, this is happening. This is being pushed through. And um, this was one of the best articles I could find on it. So let's go further here. All across the world, wherever internet filtering and outright censorship Censorship has been phased in via libraries, businesses, airports, and so forth. Sites that are critical of government are constantly blocked first. The common theme is not operating outside of law or of speaking in extremities, but challenging the power of the establishment through the distribution of information and or shedding light on its otherwise little-known unscrupulous activities. I had someone email me from China and said that I believe that they could access Sermon Audio through me, but they couldn't access my contendingfortruth.com website already. So that's already being blocked. So, you know, it doesn't really surprise me. So going further, this Orwellian scheme has already been branded by outrages of Cass Sunstein, one of Obama's main czars, who has called for the governments to ban conspiratorial theories and identified thought crimes, including a disbelief in man-made global warming and a belief in the basic goodness of sunshine. In considering how to eradicate outlawed beliefs, Sunstein posts posits the benefits of using bloggers to engage in counter 
disinformation, a very similar version of the strategy has already been adopted by the Pentagon in its InfoWars campaign. Uh, Internet censorship threatens to stifle out a recent phenomenon of free thought and widespread information that has flourished on the Internet and the World Wide Web. Only by standing up to undue constraints on our rights and by saying no to efforts to chill speech on the web can we save a stronghold of free humanity. I mean, this really is pretty much the last bastion. I mean, I know that you could say, um, like, shortwave radio would be another one. But the Internet, obviously, is the best way to reach people in mass. And uh, this is why I've always encouraged people that, and I know a lot of people did this, if, if they wanted my teachings, you better download them while you can. Because, uh, um, now, if you go up, another option that you do have right now is if you go up to my site on contendingfortruth.com, click on that audio link in the upper left-hand corner, and you come down a little bit, you'll see a uh, link for, uh, I believe it's an MP3 link, and then also one for iTunes. You can download every single one of my teachings onto iTunes and have them all. Um, but don't, please don't do it all at once because you'll most likely crash our server. I mean, if, if multiple people are doing that, I should say. If like everybody found out about it and then we had you know, hundreds of people up there doing it at the same time, you're going to probably crash our server. So try to do it like five at a time, you know, that type of thing would be a little bit better. Um, so let's go further. Uh, this is an article entitled, NASA and Google are partnering up. NSA, I should say, not NASA. NSA, National Security Agency. Webster Tarpley discusses Google's announcement that it will tighten its relationship with the NSA and how this is another leap forward in the agenda to take over and regulate the free Internet under the cover of fighting foreign cyber spies in Russia and China. See, they've always got some excuse in order to take away our rights for the greater good. Calling this pairing the latest odd couple, Google is turning to the National Security Agency, who you heard Mr. Jones mention just a minute ago, to protect itself from hackers in the wake of a cyber attack it believes came from China. Now, the NSA conducts surveillance and code-breaking for the federal government, but it also has a long history of spying. Here to talk about the pairing is historian Webster Tarpley. Webster, thanks for joining us. Now, this is kind of a turnaround for Google, who has really not been in cahoots with Washington before over surveillance. In fact, they've resisted them significantly. So what does this mean that they're, in essence, turning to the enemy for help? Uh, let me say, first of all, I think quite the contrary. They've always <laughs> been intimately linked and may indeed have been founded by the U.S. intelligence community, as I'll try to show. Remember, but now this is the National Security Agency. It used to be the most secretive. This is cyber espionage, and their mission is quite simply to monitor everybody's electronic communications, everybody's SIGINT, as they call it. So it's hard to imagine how they can object to somebody hacking when they their mission is basically to hack the entire the entire world. Well, couldn't you argue they know it best, so they would be able to fight it best? Well, uh, this is, of course, a policy of confrontation with China, which is now opening up a cyber warfare theater, which I think is absolute folly. Uh, the news is that Google is now openly in alliance with the NSA in response to these attacks, which Google claims, and I stress that because there's no independent confirmation of any of this, Google claims that China hacked Google, and now they're joining with the, with the NSA. What we learned from the Washington Post article of February 4th is it's not for the first time 
We're told that over the past decade, not just Google, but Silicon Valley companies in general have been turning to the U.S. intelligence community, the NSA, for guidance and protection. And we're also told that it's not just the NSA, but the NSA is the lead agency of the entire U.S. intelligence community. So we've now got a cartel where Google joins with the NSA. It's a cartel sponsored by the CIA, the NSA, and they're going to essentially engage in cyber warfare with China. Uh, what they hope to gain from this, I do not know. Okay, you mentioned these other Silicon Valley companies, but until now, Google has been one of the ones that has resisted pressure from Washington to turn over records, even taking them to court over the issue. So how can you just group the, Google with all of those other companies? I'm afraid this is, this is eyewash. Uh, the, the, this is essentially a, an attempt to create a cover story. It's true that Google claims that they did not cooperate with the terrorist, terrorist surveillance project back in... 2007, 2008. But let's just look at two important things. Who founded Google? How did Google get this tremendous supremacy starting in the late 90s? Well, it turns out that there's a CIA proprietary nonprofit company called InQtel. And InQtel, created back in 1999 or so under Norman Augustine, he's a famous industrial military uh, complex entrepreneur. Their goal was to invest in the most advanced IT and cyber companies so that the U.S. intelligence community would always be at the forefront. Did they invest in Google? We know they did at least at one point. CIA created Project Keyhole, the satellite imaging of the surface of the Earth. Project Keyhole was sold to Google, and it became Google Earth. And that's what you can see online. Uh, and this was two, a couple of million dollars of startup capital from InQtel. Now, the other aspect, does Google really object to censorship? Well, people in this country know they don't. Uh, case in point, a famous FBI whistleblower, Subal Edmonds, was about to testify in Congress. She had a story which was very damaging to the U.S. official account of 9-11. She happened to have her blog at Google Blog. Right before she was going to testify, Google blocked her blog. And she was not accused of anti-state activity or something like this, but of spamming. So she, she was found guilty of spamming, and they shut down her blog at a, at a critical time. This is one of dozens of examples that we could cite of how the hypocrisy of Google can be shown through what they've actually done, as distinct from a couple of high-profile stunts that they've pulled in public to try to accredit themselves as being independent, and they're not. And now it's clear in public that they're not. Well, Webster Tarbley, thank you so much for giving us this different point of view, trying to connect Google to the intelligence of the federal government long before this news that Google is officially working with the NSA. Okay, so I've put out many emails on the evil of Google, um, how they're, you know, they're linked in with the CIA, and now we know the NSA, and uh, they're evil flat out. So I would not use them as a search engine, as a rule of thumb. The, the best website that I know of, or the best search engine that I know of, the one that Catherine Albrecht is also recommending, the, the lady that wrote Spy Chips, um, is called IXQuick, I-X-Q-U-I-C-K.com. And if you go up there, you can enter in a search and they've got even a little, um, you can install them as your primary search engine. Uh, I wouldn't use any of the main search engines if you could avoid it. Yahoo, Google being the, probably the worst. Any of the ones through Microsoft. Uh, I would try to avoid them, just from a privacy standpoint. Uh, it's just one of the ways you can kind of fight this evil. 
is the way I'm looking at it. Uh, if you go up to IX Quick and you, I just did a keyword search for cars, okay, and I'm looking at it, and one of the ways that you can actually um, maintain privacy in a particular search is it will come up with all the um, listings, and like this one I'm looking at, um, www.cars.com, there's a button right next to that called Proxy. And this is for every single search that you can do on IX Quick. And if you, you click on Proxy, it will actually uh, take you to that site, but you will still maintain privacy on that particular site. It takes a little bit longer to load. I'm not 100% sure exactly how it works, but um, it's not recording the website uh, address evidently, and um, so anyway, and then you have the you have the option there to either unproxy that search or um, go back to the uh, homepage. So anyway, just something is one of the little things that that you can do there to to uh, deal with the situation. Next article we're going to be talking about is entitled the Ouija boards, um, and Ouija's. The, that word is actually spelled O-U-I-G-A. It's pronounced Ouija. Ouija board. The history of the Ouija board. What is the Ouija board? Ouija boards came into existence as a parlor game in the mid-1800s when spiritualism and channeling were at the height of fashion. The word Ouija is a blend of French and German words used for yes. Aldolphus Theodore Wagner first patented the Ouija board, sometimes referred to as the talking boards in London, England, on January 23, 1854. In the patent, Wagner called his invention a psychograph. And its purpose was to read the minds of the people with, quote, nervous energy. By 1861, French Alan Kardak was describing the Ouija board as instruments which to open communications with the spirit world. In seven short years, the Ouija board had evolved from a mind reader to a portal of communication with, supposedly, the dead. Modern Ouija boards were developed by inventor William Fold. Fold sold his patent to Parker Brothers in 1966. Ouija boards, as we recognize them today, look nothing like the original prototypes. The 20 to 25 million dollar or 20 to 25 million Ouija boards sold by Parker Brothers consist of a rectangular game board that is covered with a woodcut style alphabet with the words yes, no, goodbye, and the numbers 0 through 9. Also included with the game is a heart-shaped plastic planchet. The planchet is the pointer that is supposed to glide over the board under the direction of supernatural, and I would add in demonic forces, and form comments and questions by pointing out questions and comments. Parker Brothers has marked the Ouija board under the tagline, It's only a game, isn't it? So they're trying to make it sound innocent. Ouija board, um, the dis Satan and his demons can use the Ouija boards to actually give advice and even guide a person to a certain direction. This guidance will seem to be good, true, and helpful. Satan and his demons prevent, pretend to be caring. They try to appear as something that appears harmless. The Bible says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15. Satan and his demons will do this in order to get a person even more deeply involved in spiritist practices, witchcraft practices, essentially. Things like the Ouija board appear to be innocent at first, but as soon as a person finds themselves addicted to guidance from the spirit world, thereby allowing Satan to control their, their life. 
First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The Ouija board may be advertised as just a game, and that's exactly what Satan wants us to believe. So, I mean, I have seen uh, many shows where the they will portray like these ghost shows, and many times they don't have a problem in a particular place where they're living, or they have a little, maybe, poltergeist-type activity, and when they break the Ouija board out and communicate with the devils and demons, what ends up happening is the problem increases. Typically, it looks like it increases either double, triple, or tenfold, from what I could gather. In other words, it's a doorway that is allowing, you're basically invoking these things through this doorway in the, in the Ouija board, which is a cursed witchcraft object, and it's no different than necromancy, which is supposedly spirit communication with the dead, channeling, whatever. It all falls under that classification. Things that are totally um, forbidden in the scriptures that we're supposed to be messing around with. Um, I have heard before that many uh, high-level witches know better than to mess with a Ouija board because they know the potential... um, Number one, they know they're going to be ended up lying, lied to. Two, they know that it is very much a, a spiritual doorway where these things can come through and then have an access or actually... It's kind of like giving them permission. It would be like if you want to get really good and demon-possessed real quickly, go buy a Ouija board and start communicating with supposedly the dead. Um, you're not communicating with dearly departed Uncle Ed or Aunt... Francis or whatever. That's not who you're communicating with. You may be communicating with the familiar spirit that emanated or operated or possessed that person that you're trying to communicate with. But that's what a familiar spirit is. It's familiar with the actions of a person when they lived in this world. And they can imitate them. They can talk like them. Whenever you see um, channeling and these types of things where these spirits come into these channelers and all of a sudden they start talking like relatives that you used to know or they only know things that those relatives could know well they live with them in their life these demons and they're very very adept at what they do they're very adept at deception they're very adept at imitating those people and this is how they deceive people it's you know if you think about it in those terms we're, we're living in, in, a, in an environment where there's a dimension that we cannot see. It's the spiritual dimension. But that dimension's just as real as ours. Just we can't see them. Well, that gives them an advantage of us. If we could see them in their true form, you would know it's not dearly departed, you know, Aunt Agnes and Uncle Bert or whatever. You, you would know that real quick, but you can't see them. So be incredibly careful with this type of stuff. If you have one, or if there's one in your house, understand, this is this is a cursed object you've brought into your house. And you could say, well, I don't use it. It doesn't matter. You better burn that thing ASAP. And I mean burn it. I, I, I don't even say with a Ouija board you should throw it away. I say you need to burn it. Find a way to burn it. And if you have any other cursed objects in your house, which would be um, along these similar lines, you need to burn them or break them or crush them or do something and get them out of your house. 
because it will affect your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to. You can't walk with Satan, be in, be in agreement with Satan, and then be in agreement with Christ. You can't bow the knee to Baal and Christ. You can't, you know, it's confusion. These are things that, that um, we need to just get out of our lives. Um, going further with this article, it says, Sadly, many people are deceived into believing that Ouija boards are just a game. The truth of the matter is that God views channeling or consulting spirits or the dead to be serious sin. Deuteronomy 18.11-12 says, Anyone who engages in these practices are an abomination to God. According to Old Testament law, the Israelites were supposed to stone or execute anyone who was a medium or a channeler. According to Leviticus 20.27. See, this wasn't something that was debatable in the Old Testament. And there's certain, obviously there's certain things from a moral standpoint in the Old Testament and from a moral standpoint, they're just as valid today as they were then. Granted, we're not supposed to take witches out and stone them in, in, under this particular uh, day and time we're living in from a biblical standpoint, but it's just as serious of an offense to God as it is uh, was it is back then as, as, as it is today. It's no less, less a sin, in other words. Why does God take such a hard line on things like Ouija boards, something that many people view as a game? In Isaiah 18... Or eight nineteen through twenty, God says, and when they shall say unto you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits. Remember what we talked about with familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep and mutter. Should not a people seek unto their God for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So. The one thing is, is you could you could hear something from a one of these deceit, lying and deceiving spirits. You could hear things that are truth, but ultimately they're not going to speak according to this word. They're not going to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There is going to come a day when every knee will bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's, as long as they can hold out on that, these demonic spirits, they're going to hold out on that, and. Um, this is just something to bear in mind. So God points out that we need to come to Him for, for our answers. And, and really go to the Word of God, you know, prayer, fasting, these types of things. Because God is omniscient and omnipresent, He knows everything and He is in control of everything. Asking charlatans and unknown entities for advice can be worse than fruitless. It can be dangerous. It is dangerous. It's not can be. It is dangerous. God wants us to trust in Him and His Word. Now, in light of that, I got a lot of people had sent me this article from One News Now. Pink Ouija boards sold um, as a toy for tots now. They got the new pink Ouija boards out. Toys R Us is selling pink Ouija boards, promoting them as acceptable for children, particularly little girls as young as 8 years old. Now I had an actual picture of this Ouija board, but it didn't uh, it didn't come through when I resent it to myself in this newsletter. So uh, you can key on the link and you can see a picture. I'll give you a link there. The pink edition of the Ouija board is listed for girls eight years old and up, while the regular version is designed for all children eight and up. Stephen Phelan, communications manager of Human Life International, checked the website and reports that the findings are disturbing. He says, it is troubling that these images are treated as casually as any other game, like Monopoly or anything else that Toys R Us sells. He further believes that Christians have an obligation to fight against it. Absolutely. 
But do you think that Smiley Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn or any of these other guys are talking about this? I seriously doubt it. Maybe some are, but I doubt it. They don't get into this stuff. Their offerings might go down. We couldn't have that now, could we? Or it might not be politically correct. Or it might violate their 501c3 status. Who knows? If you go to the comments section, comments section on Toys R Us website, you'll read comments from people who talk about being obsessed with it, meaning the Ouija board. Talking about kids missing school for it. Talk about the spirits they spoke to on the other side and how creepy it was. Now this is on the Toys R Us website you can go. The communication manager adds that the primary groups that deny the evil of the Ouija board are the ones who deny the spirit world entirely. He goes on to say Christians have a biblical mandate. Amen! And again, to be quite honest, that's what this ministry that the Lord's put me into is all about. It's about being a watchman. It's about, you know, if you see the sword come into the city and you warn not the city, then that blood will be required at the watchman's hands, as the Bible talks about in Ezekiel 3 and Ezekiel 33. Well, this is what we're doing. Uh, the Bible talks about in Hosea 4, 6, my children are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Well, if you have one of these things in your house, and you don't even know it's wickedness or sin, do you think that might be able to destroy you for lack of knowledge? Or destroy you on some level? you got a cursed object in your house. Or bare minimum, hinder your walk with the Lord greatly. The Bible says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Galatians 4.16. Hopefully this wouldn't be a matter that somebody would get mad at me about. <laughs> but I've been surprised at what people get mad about regarding uh, these types of issues. Anyway, let's go further. Um, he goes on to say we're supposed to deal with the truth only. We're supposed to have nothing to do with dark spirits. We're not supposed to dabble in anything that would compromise our souls, compromise our souls and that's exactly what this does. Now the manufacturer of this product is Hasbro. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying against this type of stuff. It's particularly if, if the uh, company like Hasbro or Parker Brothers or whatever is making this. Why not go to the Lord directly in regard to that company? If they're wicked, that the Lord would intervene and stop them doing this to defiling these children. Now, I understand there's a lot of ways children are being defiled. you got Harry Potter. They got Now they're going to open a theme park up at, uh, was it Universal? Harry Potter, whole thing on Harry Potter. You can go up there and you can ride your witch's broom and you can do your spells and stand around your magic cauldron and cast spells. And, you know, there's so many different ways. The Twilight shows with how everybody's being obsessed with vampires. They've got books. They've got TV shows. They've got video games. There's so many ways that children are being defiled through the public school system. There's no way to cover it all. I've covered a lot of it in previous teachings. And if, again... Um, if you go up to YouTube, if you want to search for anything I might have done a study on, just go up to YouTube, Ken Scott Johnson, and then Ken whatever subject you're looking for. And if I've done teaching on that particular thing, it will will show up most likely. So, I just wanted to kind of cover that because I've, I've had a lot of questions in the past about these Ouija boards, and uh, they're an abomination. They are truly an abomination. Uh, next thing that we're going to get into is regarding the third temple. What does the Bible say? I had a question about somebody emailed me about uh, the third temple and what biblical proof can can you provide regarding the third temple being rebuilt. 
this is a partial response from me and a partial response from another uh, website that I found that did a very good job answering this question. Jesus um, foretold the coming of the Third Temple after the, the destruction by the Romans in 70 A.D., after the destruction of the second temple of the Romans in 70 AD. In Matthew 24, 2, Jesus told the disciples after they commented about the beauty of the temple that not one stone would be left upon another. This was fulfilled in 70 AD by the Romans under Titus. Later, Jesus refers to the time, to this as the time of the end, when the third temple would be defiled, causing the abomination of desolation. The temple being rebuilt is heavily inferred in Scripture. Uh, First, see how the words, quote, holy place are used in, script, in the scripture. And I give you a link there that you can go to um, regarding the words holy place. And the holy place is part of the innermost sanctum of the tabernacle that was eventually moved to the permanent temple that has been destroyed twice. In order for the first two verses to be fulfilled and for the daily sacrifice and oblation to cease at the midpoint of the tribulation, there has to be a rebuilt temple. Okay, so if we look at this word, uh, holy place, in scripture, uh, let's see here. Let's just look at Matthew twenty-four fifteen. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now this is actually verse 14. When ye therefore shall... Now notice what's connected with this verse. Okay? Because a lot of people say, oh, the preterists say all this stuff's already happened. Okay? Around 70 AD. Destruction of the temple. And I understand there's different flavors and versions of preterism, but... Notice what's connected with the abomination of desolation. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Has that happened in 70 AD? No! Notice what the next verse says. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by, the, of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. So, the holy place... Okay, was um, uh, you have to have the temple rebuilt in order to have the holy place. Okay, that's just one of the things where we could say it's inferred in Scripture, uh, Mark thirteen fourteen. But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, and let them that be in Judea flee into the mountains. And again, it's the same basic thing. The holy place is in this particular verse, uh, standing where it ought not. In other words, this abomination of desolation shouldn't be in the holy place, in the temple. Uh, Daniel 9.27, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now this is uh, the Antichrist that we're in reference to. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, in the midst of this week, Okay, which is the seven-year period of the tribulation at the midpoint, 3.5 years, the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Overspreading, this is the abomination of desolations. It's, it's, this is what is referred to in Matthew 24, 15 and 14, and Mark 13, 14, that we just read. Okay, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Daniel, because we're talking about Daniel 9.27. 
It's going to happen in the midst of the of the of the seven year tribulation. Uh, the Antichrist shall confirm the covenant with many for one week for seven years, and this is how it's going to play out. And then it goes on to say, even until the consummation that shall be determined shall be poured out upon the desolate. Daniel eleven thirty one says, and the arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Okay, now remember, in Matthew twenty four fourteen, and the gospel of this kingdom will be preached in all the world, and as a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. That hasn't happened yet. Of course, it is possible easily now, because of so many different means. I mean, you've got TV, you've got internet, you've got, we've got modes of transportation that did not exist back in 70 AD, or any time in between. Now we actually have the potential to fulfill this, these verses, whereas previously we did not. A lot of people want to argue about this subject and say, oh, it's already passed and this type of stuff. I, I'm sorry, but I mean, you know, th- there, there's so much evidence. This is just one little thing we're looking at, that this stuff has not happened yet, and it will happen. But in order for the sacrifice and the oblation and the daily sacrifice to cease, there has to be a rebuilt temple for it to cease. That's the way it has to be. Daniel 12.11 And from that time the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that make a desolate set up there shall be 1,290 days. Again, we've got three witnesses in Daniel talking about the abomination of desolation. Revelation 13.14 says And deceiveth them This is the um, uh, false prophet, I believe. Yeah. This is the false prophet. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Okay, this is the, this is the second beast, the false prophet. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now, a lot of people, and I tend to agree, that this is the actual abomination of desolation that we're in reference to here. This is this image of the beast, which they're going to put most likely, in the temple. Now, again, you know, I know that you could probably maybe try to argue, I think it's the most likely candidate for the abomination of desolation. Okay? And remember, the the false prophet is going to deceive them that dwell on earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. The Antichrist, the false prophet, their main modus operandi, the main way that they are going to deceive everyone is by the miracles the lying signs and wonders that they're going to have power to do through Satan, through witchcraft. Witchcraft is the coming essence of the one world religion that we're moving into. New Age witchcraft, theosophy, I think, is going to be um, very much a part of that, according to Share International and a lot of the high-level Luciferians I've seen writings of. So, uh, this image of the beast, is most likely going to be the abomination of desolation. Revelation, the next verse, Revelation 13, 15, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. So this image is actually going to appear to come to life. Probably demonically speaking, we'll have this. And the image of that beast beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. I mean, this is how important this image is going to be. People are going to either have to bow down and worship it, or, you know, you're going to be beheaded. 
Now, again, that's a little bit different than taking the mark of the beast, but there's going to be different criteria uh, for beheadment. I mean, you know, you, you, uh, they're going to want you to take the mark of the beast. They're going to want you to bow down and worship the image of the beast. They're going to want you to, you know, give all allegiance and glory. So, this will be the primary centerpiece of idol worship in the coming uh, seven-year tribulation, and most likely this image of the beast will most likely be set up at the midpoint of the tribulation, most likely being the abomination of desolation. Now, Paul also notes the need for a third temple and the role the temple will play. The Antichrist will enter the temple and proclaim himself to be God. This is consistent with the words of Jesus and Daniel about the role the temple will play. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4 says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away come first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalteth, exalts himself above all that is God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God. Now maybe that's the abomination of desolation that they're in reference to. Um, Maybe it's kind of a combination. Maybe he sets up the, the image and he, and most likely that same day, then sets himself down uh, as God in the temple of God. And then it says showing himself that he is God. So again, what, what's Satan's goal always been from the very, very absolute beginning? You go back to Ezekiel and, and it talks about, you know, because of his beauty and because of his merchandise, he was lifted up. He was the anointed cherub that covereth, most likely the throne of God. And, he, and, he, and it says in there, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend under the sides of the north. He wanted to be God. He's always wanted to be God. So this is just further evidence that he hasn't changed his tactics. He's no different than he ever was. And he just has this unbelievable desire to be worshipped. Because he's been jealous of God, uh, you know, for thousands of years. And it caused him to fall. So it's no different. Uh, the long absence of a temple in Israel's gathering are foretold by Hosea. The many days refers to our own day. The only other time since Hosea's day there was no temple was for a 70 year period. Between uh, 586 B.C. and 516 B.C. 70 years does not qualify as a long absence when the only other time is over 1900 years. For the children of Israel, uh, this is Hosea 3, 4. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and their King David. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Now, that truly doesn't happen until near the end of the tribulation when they're going to have their eyes open and they're going to look upon whom they've pierced and understand what they did when they said, and I, and I mean collectively as a nation, when they said, crucify Jesus, give us Barabbas. When Pilate was trying to make a deal with them to say, what, what evil has this man done? I mean, even, even Pilate didn't want to crucify um, uh, Jesus. He was trying to get out of it, essentially. And, and they were like, let his and they were so like give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus Christ. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And I've done a whole teaching on this, the biblical cause for Israel's afflictions, and it's not anti-Semitic. It's just stating biblical facts that are clearly outlined in the New Testament. 
It's nothing to do with anti-Semitic. I love the Jews. I want to see as many of them get saved as possible. But the Bible is very clear that blindness in part has happened to the Jew until the fullness of the Gentile come in. So this is, you know, it's a little condensed version there, but if you want to know more about that, just key in Scott Johnson at YouTube in Israel or Affliction, and you should find it. Anyway, um, so let's go further. To rebuild the Jewish temple, there first must be a desire to construct on the Temple Mount Construction would bring the Islamic world even more against Israel. Israel would also need to prepare for this temple. The priesthood would need to be trained in preparations of temple objects, such as a menorah, showbread table, altars, and clothing for the priesthood. Currently, an organization known as the Temple Mount Faithful is preparing for the third temple. They have a website detailing their preparations, www.templeinstitute.org. Now, I'm on their email list. I've been on their email list for years because I want to keep an eye on them. And they've pretty much got about everything they need. A lot of it, I believe, has been found in either uh, excavations that maybe they haven't even disclosed. A lot of it, stuff has actually been made and prepared in the biblical mode. Um, I've heard they've got all the priest garments, and um, there's probably a lot that they're not revealing that they've already got and set in place. I mean, they're raring and ready to go, this Temple Institute. So, um, understand, this is already... Preparations are, are being done and have been uh, being done for a long time. According to the Bible, only a select group of descendants of Aaron could be priests in the temple. A question often asked is how can we know who is de- a descendant of Aaron? The Jewish last name Cohen and its other forms is a priesthood marker. The last name Cohen is a traceable family line, mean, means the male is a potential candidate for Jewish priesthood. Uh, and again, you could go down that rabbit trail, I'm sure, for two or three hours, but that we'll just touch on that. Much of the items for rebuilding of the temple are accounted for at this time. Um, Israel is in control of the Temple Mount, pretty much. I mean, in Dome of the Rocks there, but um, then going further, there is a Jewish priesthood in training for temple services at this time. Also, many of the items for the temple service have been constructed. I would say uh, the vast majority from what I've heard leaked um, and then items taken in 70 AD have been located in Rome under Vatican control. Their return has been requested. Okay, so what Israel lacks for, at least maybe, we don't know, would be a suitable red heifer to purify the Temple Mount site. Red heifer. In the Numbers 19, God gave Israel method of cleansing the defile. The procedure is to take the ashes from a burned red heifer without spot or blemish, and combine them with water and perform a cleansing ceremony. This would be procedure to cleanse the Temple Mount once construction of the Temple was completed or started. To date, a red heifer has not been found that is considered suitable by the rabbis for cleansing. We don't know that. We don't know what they have, and we don't know, maybe they've got a red heifer. Maybe they've got, who knows. Uh, Several have come close to a perfect red heifer, but it's supposedly not been found. The possibility also exists that if there were a perfect red heifer, its existence would be kept secret. I know that um, Hagee has a farm where he was trying to breed one of these perfect red heifers. And I know there's a lot of supposed Christians that give money to this Temple Institute and give money to all these organizations in um, Judaism so that they can have this temple. Now, why in the world would a Christian give money, 
when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He was the perfect sacrifice that was slain before the foundation of the earth. If you give to that, those organizations, you're basically saying, well, Jesus has sacrificed, oh, that's all well and good, but you know, I really want to see the temple rebuilt, and I want to see that, that daily oblation and sacrifice continue, even though it's an abomination in God's sight. Now, is it going to happen? Yes, because the Bible says it's going to happen. But that doesn't mean we put money into that happening. That's, that's an abomination. I mean, that is, oof, you want to be real careful about that stuff. And I know John Hagee um, is integrally related into that, and um, he believes in ethnic salvation, meaning that the Jews don't have to get saved the same way that we do. They get a free pass just because they're Jewish. And I've documented all this in several teachings. Just give, do a keyword search for Scott Johnson and the word Hagee um, up on YouTube. And if you're hearing this teaching for the first time, let's say sometime in the near future, uh, sometime in 2010 or 11 or whatever, go to my site contendingfortruth.com and do the keyword search at that point because we'll have everything up and hopefully in a searchable database at that point in one spot. So let's go further. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, and then they go on to say in Texas there are ranchers who are selectively breeding cattle to bring forth about the birth of a perfect red heifer. Numbers 19 says, Now the Lord God, now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord had commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest that he may take it outside the camp, that it shall be slaughtered before him, and Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle some of the blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the burning, uh, burning the heifer. Um, the lack of the red heifer, at least a reported lack, um, tells us that the third temple might be in the distant future, but eh, we'll see. Again, it can't be absolutely... We don't know what's there and what's not there and what they're withholding and what they're not telling us, so we can only speculate. Next article is Rockefeller Banking Company announces plans to fund the Third Temple. Now look at who we got here. We just talked about Rockefeller wanting to take away all of our rights. Rockefeller um, is um, Jewish as well as Rothschild, and there's there's whole streets named after like Rockefeller Rothschild in Jerusalem. They're heavily involved with the archaeological projects that take place in Israel, particularly in the Jerusalem area. They fund a lot of them, and they're integrally related and interested in this subject of this third temple. And we're going to look at that right now. Um, Let's see here. This is from a news brief, and this was originally emanated from... What's that noise? Okay, so let's go further. Uh, this is from Kinty Mining Limited. Announces David Rockefeller and the rebuilding of the third Jewish temple in addition to Frank Love commencing the, quote, Temple Now project. This is from CNN Money. January 29th, 2010. This just happened. Um, Kinty Holdings Group President Frank Love and Director David Rockefeller states the following. Kinty Holdings will be raising funds to go towards building the third temple in Jerusalem in strict 
coordination with the Temple Institute. Remember what I just mentioned, the Temple Institute? They're at the spear tip. Look at who they're being funded by. One of the highest Illuminati uh, families on the planet. So they're going to be funding the Third Temple in Jerusalem in strict coordination with the Temple Institute and Rabbi Chaim Rickman. This article then lists a link to which you can go that shows you pictures of the planned Third Temple. And I had to take the images out in order to send this, but you can click on the link, um, or you can do a keyword search for this, and you'll find the, the images. Um, and again, they, they talk about a lot of the Bible verses we just went over. Okay? And... Um, it's kind of redundant to repeat any of that. Let's see here. So anyway, I, th- I thought, thought that that was pretty pretty interesting. And, and again, it kind of shows us how close we may be to this. Now the next article is entitled, Freemasonry has a long fervent desire to rebuild the Third Temple. Now these last two articles, this is the last article, are both from Cutting Edge. Illuminized Western Freemasonry has long desired to rebuild Solomon's temple on the Temple Mount. So now we have the Freemasons that are so, so interested in this particular subject. So we've got two of the most wicked factions on the planet, absolutely 100% obsessed, and we're going to see how obsessed the Freemasons are, with this very subject. Masonic forces in the United Kingdom and United States and Israel are absolutely determined to rebuild Solomon's temple. This plan will bring about World War III, most likely bring about World War III, the Antichrist, and the beginning of the Tribulation. The Third Temple will be patterned after Solomon's Temple. And, let's see here. Let us examine how important the Temple is to the practice of the Masonic religion. All Of all the objects which constitute the Masonic science of symbolism, the most important and the most cherished by the Freemason, and by far the most significant, is the Temple in Jerusalem. Now this is now this quote I'm reading you is from the Encyclopedia of Freemasonry by Albert Mackey, 33rd degree Freemason, and Charles T. McClellan, 33rd degree Freemason. Okay, this is just their encyclopedia. This is what they're saying, not me. The spiritualizing of the temple is the first and the most prominent and the most pervading of all symbols of Freemasonry. Take from Freemasonry its dependence on the temple. Leave out all of its ritual. Leave out of its ritual, all references to that sacrificed edifice and to the legends and traditions connected with it and the system itself would at once decay and die. So if you were to take from Freemasonry the dependence on the temple and all the things surrounding that, it's saying that the Freemasonic system would at once decay and die. That's how important it is. What do you think that show National Treasure was, I mean, it was it was very much related to this subject where they find this unbelievably gigantic treasure below New York City. You know, and, and it's, the Freemasons are absolutely 100% obsessed with this subject. Let us repeat the critical understanding that the noted 33rd degree Masonic author Albert Mackey's just given us. Take, well, and again, it's the same quote I just read. Um, about if you took uh, from Freemasonry uh, the dependence on the on the temple, um, 
the, the whole system would collapse, essentially. Therefore, the first understanding we want you to grasp is that Freemasonry is absolutely, completely, 100% devoted to um, Solomon's Temple, without which the entire structure and foundation of Freemasonry would die. Thus, Freemasonry stands in stark contrast to genuine biblical Christianity. In other words, Freemasonry is rooted at its deepest foundation to the first covenant of the Old Testament, but mixed in with a ton of witchcraft, while biblical Christianity is rooted to the second covenant of Jesus Christ as delineated in the New Testament. Mackey makes this fact quite clear also. Masonry has derived its temple symbolism, as it has almost all its symbolic ideas, from the Hebrew type. Since the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and the New Testament in Greek, Mackey is clearly stating that Freemasonry is rooted in the Old Testament. Um, but again, it's rooted mostly in paganism and Babylonian mystery religions, and I don't want to give it that much credit where it was just to say it's all rooted in the Old Testament because they obviously throw in a lot of stuff um, extra to the Old Testament in the Masonic Bible, quoted from above, the Temple Illustrated Edition, the author of the foreword shed some further light upon the importance of Solomon's Temple of Freemasonry. And in that, he's quoted as saying, The traditions and romance of King Solomon's temples are of the greatest interest to everyone who reads the Bible. They are of transcendent importance to the Masons. The Temple is the outstanding symbol of Masonry. And the legendary story of the building of the temple is the fundamental basis of the Masonic rule and the guide for conduct in life. The cream of Masonic historical and uh, philosophical writings has been drawn upon for his description of the temple and its relation to the Masonic ritual. Very, very important. Um... This transcendent importance of the Third Temple is the driving force behind this Rockefeller announcement. Events of the day are truly demonstrating the reality of the appearance of the Masonic Antichrist and, and that it's very, very close at hand. Doubt it not. Spread the message of the Gospel far and wide, urging your friends and loved ones that the time is speeding by them for them to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I, do, what I did here is I gave uh, a link at the very bottom, this will be in PDF format, to uh, a keyword search for my name and salvation if you go to YouTube. Because you can key in then and, and listen to the teachings I've done on salvation. And um, that might be a potential way that you can lead some people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately that's what I want this to be about. I don't want it to be about just hashing over things. I want this to be about people being exposed to truth, getting their eyes open, and getting saved. Because that's what really matters. And there's different ways that can be accomplished. It's not all cookie cutter in, in the way that God would have us to witness or to put out truth to other people. The Bible talks about the body of Christ, and every part of the body has different functions. So that's all I have for today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer, and... Uh, We'll go from there. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time that you've given us. I thank you, Lord, for letting us come together another time to go over these events. Lord, I pray ultimately that your name be glorified through them, that your fear would be upon the unsaved, upon the body of Christ, that that fear would drive us to repentance, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And 
Lord, that you would um, cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, that they would not have dominion over us. I pray you bless my listeners, Lord, um, our families, our unsafe family members, Lord, that you would open their eyes, Lord, and give them eyes to see, hearts to receive, and ears to hear. And, Lord, we just praise you and we thank you. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.